The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey, this is Alexis Haynes, and welcome to Recovering from Reality, where I illuminate the messy and magical path of coming home to yourself. Whether you're on the road to recovery, seeking self-care techniques for surviving the capitalist machine, or just need a moment to remember that you're not alone in your loneliness, we're serving up the ultimate truth. Your challenges don't define you. How you deal with them does. So, are you ready to recover from reality? Seeing my behavior sober without the lens of denial and, you know, having that time away from it, I was horrified. And I didn't actually even really recognize the person I was writing about. And that was weird. There were things I didn't want to write about that I knew I had to write about. And as a writer, that stuff where you're like, I can't put that on the page. That's the shit you need to put on the page. It's not about looking good. Everyone's like, well, I didn't really like you in the beginning of the book. I'm like, hi, I was mentally ill and fucking a drug addict. Like, if, if, I, if I was an angel, I would have never gotten sober. You know, I was very honest about what a dick I was. You know what I mean? And I think if you're trying to look good in an addiction memoir, you're just not being fucking honest enough. That was a quick clip from this week's episode. Amy Dresner is a journalist, author, and former comedian, as well as a recovering addict and alcoholic. She has been a columnist for the addiction recovery magazine, TheFix.com, since 2012, and has freelanced for Addiction.com, Psychology Today, and many other publications. Her first book, My Fair Junkie, A Memoir of Getting Dirty and Staying Clean, was published by Hachette in 2017 to rave reviews from critics and readers alike. Elle magazine compared Dresner's darkly comic memoir to Carrie Fisher's Postcards from the Edge and Mary Carr's Lit, calling Dresner's book one for the ages. Dresner has appeared on television shows like The Doctors and on numerous radio shows and podcasts, including Dr. Drew and Rich Roll. She does regular speaking engagements around the U.S. and Canada. Her book is currently in development for a TV series. And that is no surprise to me. After you guys hear this episode, you will get what I'm saying. But we are diving in to so much more than her incredible story and journey into lasting sobriety. We're also talking about some pretty big topics like choice. I mean, that's something that we often debate in the recovery spectrum. Is addiction a choice? Is it not? How does that kind of work in the world of brain chemistry as well? And we are also going over the book writing process. She wrote an incredible memoir that I just spoke about, and mine is coming out in just a couple of weeks. We're diving into what that process was like for each of us. Writing was certainly not something that was cathartic or some big release. It was something that was pretty brutal and really difficult at times. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. From the offices of Create and Cultivate, I'm Jacqueline Johnson, and this is Work Party, a podcast for working women that support each other's successes. In each episode, we bring in leading female powerhouses for career real talk and BS-free advice. Ready to create and cultivate the career of your dreams? Well, welcome to Work Party, the podcast. Amy, wow. 
so excited to have you on. You know what? It was my girlfriend. Obviously, you're a friend of Bob Forrest. And Correct. I know that. And I've listened to you on uh, Rich Roll. I've listened to you on this. Did you go on This Life or Don't Die? For um, both, I think. You went on both. Yeah. Okay, so I've listened to you on I'm like a podcast horror. You yeah. are. And <laughs> I love it. I'm here for it. Um, but no, my girlfriend Jessica saw you speak at an event. She goes, you have to reach out to Oh, Amy she recovers? Yeah, at something. And I was like, okay, all right, I'm going to do it. And so I'm so glad that we're finally able to yeah. um, make this happen because your story um is one for the books, which is why you wrote a book. Correct. So good. And um, I just started that book. Um, I've been in the in the throes of editing my own book, which comes out December 3rd. So I want to oh, talk about the writing process because I think so many people want to know what that process is like, especially when it's your own story yeah. and it's like so dark like yeah. both of ours are. Yeah. And so um, I have so many questions on that too. But let's let's go all the way back I know you've done this a thousand times, but let's talk, let's, let's go back to your childhood and your story and kind of get people up to speed. Okay. Uh, my childhood, I grew up in Beverly Hills. My parents split when I was about two. My dad was a screenwriter. My mom was a designer. And I grew up between sort of like, you know, Benedict Canyon and sort of Laurel Canyon area. Um, there's a lot of mental illness and addiction in my family on both sides. So I sort of won the genetic lottery. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, I, I grew up pretty privileged, but I had always that sort of weird feeling inside of just not being good enough, not being pretty enough, being different in a not a good way. Do you know what I mean? Always since I was like nine, I can remember feeling like I feel different and weird. My mother was uh, kind of a workaholic. Uh, I was mostly raised by my father, I'd say. So my mother was sort of like shut down because she'd been raised by a schizophrenic mother who beat the shit out of her. And uh, so she did the best she could, but I sort of, I definitely was like, I need love, like love me more kind of thing, you know? And um, she moved to Mexico when I was 13. So I went through puberty with my dad, which is interesting and sort of why sort of, I think that, I'm like weirdly manly, like, you know. Why did she go to Mexico? She, you know, every every career is ages, but this is back in sort of, I guess, like the, you know, 80s, 70s, 80s. And she was just getting, you know, pushed out of the design world, the fashion design world. So she moved to Mexico. Um, we'd grown, I'd grown up there a little bit when I was a kid too, like Guadalajara and Puerto Rico, not Puerto Rico, Puerto, so one of the Puertos. Puerto Vallarta. Yeah, Puerto Vallarta. Thank uh -huh. you. Thank you. So she's bilingual and she went down there and wove rugs with the Navajo, with the Zapotec Indians and started a business and then ended up moving to Santa Fe. But she was sort of gone for like 10 years. So my dad raised me through my puberty. So it was like a little bit weird. So it's like, I can... Like my dad taught me to ride a bike and play basketball and play poker and like, but no one was around to sort of be like, this is makeup and this is boys and here's how a bra fits and, you know, so like I can't cook, but like I can, like I'm sort of Bukowski with boobs. That's pretty, and my dad's a writer too. So it's like, people are like, you're really masculine. I'm like, mm, okay, thank you. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I didn't drink till I was 19. I, uh, I was really obsessed with purity growing up. I was scared of it, I think. I think I knew deep down I was going to have a real problem with it. 
And uh, my dad made a bet with me. He's like, I bet you'll drink or smoke or do drugs before you're uh, 18. And I said, I bet I won't. He said, if you don't, I'll give you $1,000. And I always make this terrible joke. Like, that's who, that's how Jews raise each other. We just bribe each other, you know. So I waited till I was 19 and drank and I was in college. And, you know, my drinking was out of control immediately, but it looked like everyone else was drinking. It's college. Yeah. Everyone's puking. Everyone's blacking out. Everyone's skipping classes. Everyone, it didn't look that different. Um... I started to really, I started to have an eating disorder. I started to get really like depressed, you know, prior to that. So I started to kind of come apart at like 15. And then by 19, I was like full blown anorexic, drinking, like super depressed. And then I got on meds in my 20s. And at 24, I found crystal meth. And bam, I was like, this is, I don't know. I mean, I don't care if this stuff is made with gun bluing and Drano. I've never felt more normal in my life. This is the best. And I was living in San Francisco. And of course, you know, Crystal takes you down so fast. So my parents moved me back to L.A. And again, thinking, you know, oh, well, she'll be sober in L.A. Like, she never did Crystal in L.A. And it's like, drop me anywhere and I can find a fucking drug dealer. Yeah. You know, now that I'm sober, drop me anywhere and I can find a sober person. Mm -hmm. It's like a different radar. Um, and it just kept going and going and going. And, you know, I've been in six rehabs and I've had time sober and then I've relapsed and I gave myself epilepsy with crystal meth. I've been on, I've had a seizure disorder now for f over 15 years. Um, I started shooting cocaine at one point. Um, I, I so drank downers were not your thing? No. At the very end, I had a shoulder injury and they gave me Oxycontin. And I thought it wouldn't be a problem because I didn't like downers because mm. I was naturally depressed. But I like everything. I like to feel different. I like to feel numb, yeah. you know, so that veil went up between me and the world. And I was just like, oh. but Oxy might made me really aggressive. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I know. So that's sort of where the book starts, which is the kind of the beginning of the sobriety, which is me getting arrested for felony domestic violence with a deadly weapon, like high on oxy and drink and drunk and then I just yeah that was like the beginning of this whole sobriety and this this journey yeah so it you know I'm glad it happened but not at the time I was like fuck this but now you know I ended up with you know doing 240 hours of community labor I lost everything I was left penniless in a psych ward I ended up sober living for two and a half years tried to kill myself a couple times you know but it was the chain gang that changed my life isn't that amazing how it's like these these moments that are just the most humbling that make you go, oh, my God. But I made a decision. I mean, I yeah. remember I was 42 years old and I was like, fuck, you know, and going through I'd just gone through divorce. I'd had another nervous breakdown. I tried, you know, blah, blah, another rehab, you know what I mean? And I was drinking like four loco in the morning or something really mm -hmm. gross. And, uh, but that shit will get the job done. It was so funny. I was talking to, I ran into some, some program people outside of Starbucks and I was telling them, I was like, oh yeah, I used to drink four loco. And there was like a homeless alcoholic guy and he goes, I'm an alcoholic and four loco is fucking disgusting. <laughs> I won't even touch that stuff. And I was like, pussy. Yeah. That like, shit gets I you. I would drink anything. Dude, that shit gets you there. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> And fast. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I mean, people talk about drinking like white wine vinegar. I'm like, oh. <laughs> but I was in sober living with a girl who was drinking mouthwash. Yeah. But boy, did her, did she smell minty Mini fresh. fresh. <laughs> Man, her breath was amazing. Yeah, NyQuil, amazing. whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. Right? I was like, we'll hey, yeah, I can't be picky, bitch. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
But I remember I was on a chain gang and it was like me and 40 Mexican guys. And this is, you know, it was like, I was like, when I showed up, I was like, oh my God, like these people are criminals. Like I'm a Jewish American princess. Like why am I like, oh, this is terrible. And it was like me and 40 Mexican guys in hoodies, right? And uh, I was like, oh, fuck. Yeah. And they're like, what you here for, Weta? You know, I'm here for a DUI. What you here for? And I was yeah. like, um, I'm here for felling domestic violence with a deadly weapon. They were like, oh, shit. You know, <laughs> so like nobody fucked with me. But I also had this like a, a humbling moment where I was like, hi, you're the criminal asshole. Like you're the one mm. who's there for an assault. And you're the one who has more time than anyone else. People are like, how much time you got? I'm like, 240 hours. Like, would you rob a fucking bank? Like, Jesus. Like, I was like, oh. So I remember I was sweeping the streets and it was like on Santa Monica Boulevard. It was so gnarly. Like in a clean team, good tan dickies that said clean team on the back and sweeping in this hot sun. And I was feeling really sorry for myself. I was like, you know, this is how my life's supposed to turn out. Poor me, and why do you call the cops? And here's a pussy, and this. And I went, wait a second. This is the result of all your choices and your act. Like, you got yourself here. I was like, what if this is the best thing that ever happened to you? What, you know, this could be the worst thing that ever happened to you or it could be the best thing that ever happened to you, and you get to decide what that is. I said, what is it? What if this is the best thing that ever happened to you, like dressed up in drag? You know, could there be lessons here? Could this be like incredible crossroads and transformation? Like, are there? And I was like, yeah, man. Like, well, first of all, I can sweep like a motherfucker now. Like, I'll sweep for you guys outside. <laughs> I am good. <laughs> um, and I was like, I can learn humility. I can learn teamwork. I can learn how to take the you know responsibility for my actions, finish what I start, you know, all that kind of stuff, do a job. You know, I realized that it's just as easy to do a job well as it is to do a job badly. Like there were other people that leave cigarette butts. And I was like, just if you're going to do a job, do it fully. And so it just transformed me into someone else. And that was before I ever knew it was going to be the framework of a book. But I was was putting it on uh, Facebook. I was like, another day on the chain gang. And I'd like take pictures of like stuff on the ground I found or like, like lessons I'd learned or pain I'd, you know, that I'd dripped on myself or like just funny stories because I was like usually the only girl. Yeah. And um, people, Facebook was just like, the, all my Facebook friends just were like, when I finished, they were like, get arrested again. That was hilarious. <laughs> and so I was like, well, maybe there's something here. I wasn't going to be ashamed of it. I wasn't going to hide it. Like other people in Chang Gang hit it. They're like, hey, I'll be your friend on Facebook, but like, don't ever talk about community labor. I was like, okay. Yeah. I was like, hey, this is what's happening. And that's the way I deal with my shame is I just flip it and I completely own it. Once you own it, there's nothing that anyone can fucking. Yeah. It's like, right? There's nothing anyone can say. It's like, I'm a twice convicted felon. What the fuck ever. Respect, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, I'm here for it, you know? And and I'm not anymore. I got my record cleared. But but I still totally own that part of me because- it was the best thing that ever happened to me. And people are always shocked. They're like, if you could go back in time and like just change. No, wouldn't change it. No. Because that's what made you who you are today. today. Yeah. Yeah. And even though I can still get into pity parties for myself and oh my gosh, I should be here and it's like, I have to check myself on a regular basis and just remind myself that like shit was much worse nine years ago. Yeah, right. Like much, much worse. Like you have nothing really to feel sorry about yourself (laughs) for. Totally. You know? But backtracking for a second, because I just so relate to 
that feeling of like, I'm not a criminal. I'm like a Jewish princess. Right. Okay. So I'm in, I'm sentenced to a year in rehab in lieu of six years in prison. And I show up to AA with a scarf over my head and the biggest glasses looking like Jackie fucking out, okay, <laughs> to a meeting. My husband's at the meeting. My future husband uh-huh. is at the meeting, right? All of these people, we won't drop names, okay. but very big celebrities. Yeah, 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 but yeah. I think you know where I'm going, right? Uh-huh. And it comes, it's an 11-step meeting, okay? For people who don't know that, it's about prayer and meditation, right? Furthering our spiritual <laughs> principles and life so that way we can maintain our sobriety. Here's my share. Alexis, um, I guess I'm an alcoholic. The most embarrassing thing happened to me today. I got voted like the best celebrity mugshot of 2010. Um, I'm sorry, but I, uh, my mic shot is not nearly as bad as Paris Hilton's or Lindsay Lohan's. I'm sitting there going through <gasps> this. This is my share. Oh my like God, this so is so good. These are our belief systems though oh. that are like, oh. like, you know, it's like that whole dichotomy <laughs> of like, I'm the best person in the world, but the biggest piece of shit. Of course. Right. Totally. And it's like, it's an, a really amazing thing. When you finally check yourself and go, oh, and that humility starts getting downloaded. And that is that then we can have grace for ourselves and others. And then we can like embark on this path. I want to, we kind of started talking about this in the beginning, which is something that's really controversial in the community, which is choice. Mm -hmm. Which I think is a, it's an interesting topic to, you know, because at the end of the day, I do make a conscious choice every single day to stay sober. Yeah, this is a really, ooh, this is such a tricky issue. And because I'm learning more, I'm learning more and more about the science of, of addiction. Yeah. So it's really, you know, a brain thing. I yeah. mean, uh, I wrote an article about this genetic mutation um, that sort of 80% of al- alcoholics and addicts have where we can't make enough dopamine. Basically, we don't. We have an enzyme that uh, that keeps us from breaking down um, folic acid into L-methylfolate, which is the building block. Yeah, of I have dope. MTHFR. Okay, yes. you know exactly what uh-huh. I'm talking about. Aren't you smart <laughs> and pretty? Okay, well I have it too. Yeah. Um, I and think it's so, about forty percent of the Caucasian population right. has it. Oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So that's a point where, like, you know, did I feel off before I picked up? Fuck yeah. yeah. Did I want to just feel normal in my skin? Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? That's why I drank and used. So but it's like. If we're going to talk about genetic predisposition and mutations, we also have to talk about what flips on the switch, right? Right. Because then we're diving into epigenetics, right? Right. So we're all given this deck of cards, right? right? Everyone has different genetic mutations. And what flips on that switch is trauma. Of course, of is course, trauma, right? Of course. I mean, and so that's the, a word that's getting so overused, overused. for such. You know yes. what I mean? Abuse, whatever. Yeah, it might every, be. You know, it's like you can go take your adverse childhood experience study. Ace is too high, <laughs> and look at if you had childhood trauma you zero know. to eighteen. Right. But yeah, so to just go back a bit, so we have the genetic mutation, right? And that's epigenetics. The right. switch can be turned right. on or off. Something traumatic happens in the body and the switch gets turned on. Dopamine levels drop. Right. And then we're constantly seeking things that make them go up. Right? Correct. Does that but make I mean, sense? yeah, but I think that or if you're that born right? with the muta- the motherfucker mutation, I don't think that that's turned on or off by trauma. I think that's a, something you have the whole time. And I think mm. other people deal with it differently. Do you know what I mean? I don't think that that's... 
you know, I think you're that's that's even different from like, oh, well, we're born with a predisposition towards alcoholism or addiction. And then, you know, what is it? Genetics, you know, loads the gun and environment pulls the trigger mm-hmm. or whatever. So as far as I know, if you have this, you have this. You have it, but you have it. But not everybody who has MTHFR has autism, which is also a higher risk if you have this. Most people who have autism have this. But um, also... Not everybody who has MTHFR ends up being an alcoholic. Yeah. So there's something so, right, that, right, that's right, there. So right. don't yeah, I, I don't think we know enough about it. We I don't. mean, you know, Gabor Monte's like, it's all trauma. And it's like, mm, no, it's, it's not. not all trauma. Not. You know what I mean? Because the adverse, our brains are different. Yes. And the adverse childhood experience study, which you can go and take, which Kaiser and the CDC did, right? They measure out how much trauma someone right. and then uh, the variables of how increase the rate of suicide or right, right, heart right, disease right. Yeah, yeah, or addiction. Yeah. All that stuff goes up. But then they went and also measured resilience, right? Right. So resilience is also a genetic factor, right. but it also has to do with parenting. How many tools were right. we given right. to deal with right. life stressors right. and to cope and totally. all of these things? And then also like our current fucking crazy ass world, right. which was, which is much different from when you were a kid, from when I was a kid to where my kids, these post nine eleven kids who are doing fucking shooting drills Oof. in in kindergarten so at their crazy. school. It's so frightening. And so we have to look at all yeah. of these different things. So okay. So So yeah, then, did I did I feel I mean, because not everyone who does cocaine or heroin or whatever becomes a drug a, addict. Yes. That's the problem. They they're like, oh drugs are the problem. No. No. Because not everyone who does that becomes a drug addict. You know yeah. what I mean? Yes, a hundred percent. They're with you. Yeah, I, I, you can. Get I know help. people I've have done opiates surgery. and not, yes. and you don't become. You don't. You yes. know. And in recovery, I've had surgery multiple times and have not gone back to heroin. There you go. Heroin is there like my love, right? There you like go. I loved heroin right. for many, many years, right. and it provided me with everything right. that I need in this life. And I've had a C-section and whatever right. else, and needed pain pills. So, so. Yes. And but that's not to discredit pharma at the same time. This is where it becomes a fucking minefield because yeah. we Did know they kn- they knew how addictive it was and they knew that yes. that it didn't last it wasn't as long lasting as they said it was. Mm-hmm. And so then when people would start to go, Oh, I'm in pain shorter than it was supposed to la- last, yeah. you know what I mean? Now so I they lied and they and doctored more, all the studies. More, yeah, it's fucked up. It's fucked up. Yeah. Um so do I believe in the science of addiction? Absolutely. Do I think it's a brain thing? I know it is. You know what I mean? I felt something. Anytime I pick up, I've picked up, I feel something inside me fucking like open up like a portal. And mm. I still struggle with nicotine. Like, you know, I won't buy cigarettes, but I'm like chipping. Like, oh, I'll just hit my, my, my sponsor's vape and I'll just like, you know what I mean? I'm like, oh, God, girl. You know what I mean? Sex and love is still a huge fucking problem for me where I've just withdrawn from and it. And I want to dive into that, too, because that's a huge aspect of the book. And we're going to get back yeah. there. But I know that you also had many years of celibacy in your 20s. Yeah. Too. And then I became like a full-blown sex addict after my divorce. And then mm. I fell in love. And I've been celibate since... Basically, yeah, I've been like for two and a half years, like because I got my heart broken and I just also was like not interested in going back into what I had been into before. And I wanted another, you know, I wanted a boyfriend. I was also like my mother also got dementia. My father got cancer. I was promoting the book. Like I was, you know. It's been a couple years. So it's like also, you know, (laughs) and and people, you know, I'm, you know, I've heard that I'm intimidating. Like I'm actually a really sweet, sweet person, but like. 
you know, and you know what this is like. People see the, the social media and they're like, she must be so rich and famous and I'm fangirling out. It's like, oh, my life's not different, really that different than it was prior to the book or prior to me being on the doctors or prior to me, whatever. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Um, so in terms of it being a choice, um, okay, so I'm at, you know, I'm in sober living and were there times I wanted to get high? Fucking absolutely. I was in so much pain. You know, and I ended up picking up sex and I became, I was fucking 25 year olds in my car and like, you know, all this kind of Which stuff. Which we can, the oxytocin, tra- that's the thing that people don't understand too, is like, how do you become addicted to sex? It's more than just like the dopamine rush when it's sex because it's oxytocin oh, transfer yeah. it's so too, gnarly. which it's is so just, gnarly. if you've ever had a baby and had that oxytocin dump after you have the baby and you're like... <sighs> It's like literally a yeah, high of like, and this is, it's that love high, that But then high, I bond, I bond to that, that guy, but that guy's not yes. interested. Those guys are, you know, out to bone. That's eBay yeah. for cock. That's, Tinder's not the soulmate seekers, no. you know. So then I have to find someone else to break that mm-hmm. chain to, of that guy. And then I bond to this next motherfucker. And then I bond, you know what I mean? And then I got to find another one. It was just like this endless cycle. But, you know, there is, there's, you know, in in some of the other programs, which I just don't, it's, they didn't work for me, but it was like, you know, they call it dope on two legs because, I mean, just going to meet someone new, you're like shaking like you were going to meet your dope dealer. And it's like, you know, and there is validation and there is high. And I mean, Tinder's set up like a fucking video game, like, like a gambling every, thing. After yeah. every match, yeah. you're like, ooh. Yeah, okay. it's like explosion. It's like a fuck. It's a like gambling yeah. addiction. You're like, ching. You know what I mean? Your brain goes, yeah. you know, it's really fucked up. So I've ne- I haven't been, I don't touch that shit. And it's just like, and I write from home and I live in Boys Town. So it's like, so it's like, I'm like, I, I love living in Boys Town, but like, you know, I feel really safe, but like, no one's asked me out. I don't know why. <laughs> I have a lot of masculine energy. Come on guys. Yeah. No, but it's like, um. So for me, I found a lot of different ways that I've tried to fill that stuff. And now napping is my my drug of choice. Fuck. Right? I'm here you for feel it. you feel that girl? I am here. Right? Hi. There is nothing better. I crawl into bed. <laughs> I put my baby down for a nap. I crawl under my covers, right? put on a junk TV show. And when I say junk, I mean like vampire diaries. Okay. <laughs> like the shit, right? And I just sit there and like stare into a TV and then right? like drift off into oh, sleep. That's the fucking best, and wake man. up and I'm like, how long have I been sleeping? Where am I? You know, and it's the greatest. Yeah, it's just I kind of feel like it's sometimes <laughs> when I'm really, really flipped out about something and I feel really upset and I'm going to I'll be like, OK, take a nap. Time for a nap. Yeah. And because it's like unplugging the computer and replugging and I wake up and I feel different yeah. and I feel better. So I was relapsing for almost 20 years in and out of the rooms, in and out of rehabs, you know, in and out of psych wards, the whole deal. Right. Jail. And then so I'm at. I'm in sober living. I'm fighting. My felony got dropped to a misdemeanor. I'm doing all this stuff to get rid, to have it dismissed. I have no money at all. I'm on medical disability, which was a whole other princess fucking wake up call. You know what I mean? Was like, which is super funny shit in the book. Cause I'm making fun of the fact that like, you know, again, it was, it was very eye opening and I'm glad it happened. I needed it. I needed it. But there was, it was literally, I mean, there was nowhere else to go. My parents were out of money. Everyone was over my shit. You know, my dad's like, I'm fucking tired of this. I'm like, tired of what? He's like, tired of you at the bottom of the well, Ames. It's fucking, I'm over it. You've been draining me financially and emotionally for years. I'm fucking done. Like, call me when you have good news or don't call me. And I was like, ooh. You know, he went to one Al-Anon meeting up in Oregon. 
And he was like, okay, I get it. And I called him once trying to manipulate him or whatever. And he was like, you know what? You used to be able to ruin my life and now you can't even ruin my fucking lunch. Mm. And I was like, and then I was like, fuck. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, there goes that power in puppetry. And so there was no other, there was no net. It was over. If I got kicked out of the server, it was over. And I just thought, you've been doing this forever. Like drugs aren't going to fix it. You know, you're going to have to get sober again. Just, it's just not a fucking option. And I just decided, no. And I'll be seven years sober uh, again in January. And um, it's not been easy. It's been a lot of really hard life stuff has happened. And my head will go, oh, you know, just blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, it's not an answer, honey. And also then, I, you know, even when I got my heart broken, you know, and he moved out, I was so fucking shattered. Like for me, like love, has, love stuff has always taken me out always used to take me out. And uh, my first thought was like, my book was about to come out and my first thought was like, I got to get loaded. Like I can't take the pain. My fucking neighbors could all hear me just bawling through the walls for seven months. I lost 10, 15 pounds and I'm like a skinny desert Jew to begin with. So I looked like ill. People are like, can I call you an ambulance? Like what's happening here? You know, I was started chain smoking. I just cried and cried and cried and cried. And I wanted to get loaded and I just thought, I can't. You have a fucking recovery memoir coming out, honey. Like, you can't do that to your publisher. You can't do that to your readers. You know yeah. what I mean? Can you imagine? They're like, well, our author can't be here, but she's Skyping in from her eighth rehab. Yeah. Amy, can you can you hear us? And I just yeah. thought, no. So but at I, the same time, it's so hard. Okay, because I've, I've had friends who have overdosed and died with their kids. And they, you know what uh, I mean? It's like they have little kids. And... So it's hard. The choice thing is really, it's so hard because it's like, it's not that you're choosing the drug over your children. It's that you're choosing the alternative to pain. Correct. You're choosing to suffer through your discomfort and not pick up. Because once I pick up, I have no fucking idea what will happen and I lose all choice. Mm -hmm. That experiment I've done over and over with every fucking substance. Yeah. So it is my, you know, it is choosing to not pick up no matter fucking what. And I didn't understand that before, but, you know, it's weathering that discomfort. Your feelings will not kill you. I've been through some horrible, horrible, horrible shit. And I didn't fucking pick up. And it's like, and I'm so glad I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was one of the greatest gifts. My very first sponsor, I would call her and all the, you know, newcomer tizzy. Everything's a big deal when well, you're course, a newcomer. The fucking world is falling apart. Right. You have no, that's the thing in the beginning that I feel like the relapse, the early, early days relapsing is just because you have no tools. Of course. No tools. Yeah. And then you get sober for a minute and you're like, you're like super horny and you're like yeah. out of control. Uh, yeah, and like the last <laughs> thing that you want to do is like figure out the tools. You're like, oh, fuck the tools. Right. I that just, hot I'm sober, guys at that, that meeting. Yeah, guy, of course. And I can finally have an orgasm again because <laughs> I was addicted <laughs> on the pain pills. There's fucking no you coming. Get, you, you can't come on there's, fucking. There's no coming on heroin. <laughs> there's no orgasm. I mean, like you can eat me out for an hour and a half and still nothing. I'm like fucking the China wall. Great wall of China. Nothing oh penetrates God, that's this. fucking okay? hilarious. Um, sorry to all my fucking ex-boyfriends. <laughs> it was all fake. Oh, all lies. Snap. All lies. Snap. 
Um, okay. So, and it what? It's not you. It was me. Right. Because I was so high, I couldn't right. experience anything. I right? didn't so, even get. I mean, when I was shooting coke, I gave a fuck about sex, and I was pretty slutty. But like when I was on meth, I was like a tweaker. Yeah, I was a meth, like I wasn't someone sex. who like like watched <laughs> porn and boned people for four days straight. I was someone who like collaged and plucked my eyebrows Ugh, for nine hours, and like went so dumpster real. diving, and like yes. you refinished furniture at three in the morning, yes. listening to fucking Nirvana and Tool and like Nine Inch yes. Nails, and like. That kind uh, of, you know what I mean? I haven't gotten to my car the other day and he goes, you have a Tool playlist on here? I'm like, yeah, fucking Tool is amazing. And <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where you were in the 90s, but like this was the shit. Um, but no, he was like totally making fun of me. Um, but so, but you don't get the the tools, right? And yeah. so like- No, my, the beginning's the hardest. So beyond. Hard. No, the be- that it's first so year hard. sucks. And I really don't like an AA and- I, and I love that you're sorry, fucking just, I love that you're breaking, I love that you're the breaking anonymity chips, and fucking talking about it. I love chips, that you're talking about it. The chips. Because how much shame do you feel when you have to go take a new ch- okay, chip I want to talk about that. the whole I'm, room fuck again? that. First of all- I don't think it's you cool. Know, Okay, so I don't th- I, I don't have a problem with the chips because I think it's supposed to be like acknowledging that, you know, that first 30, 60, 90 days is it's really, huge, really fucking hard. But it's hard. not, you know, in a lot of ways. Yeah, but it's like in terms of the shame, that's because of that fucking gross power hierarchy of like, I'm an old timer mm-hmm. and blah, blah. It's like I've seen people with 19 years eat it. Like, Miserable. you know, yeah, but also Miserable. eat fucking shit and relapse. It's yeah. like, don't judge me, motherfucker. So it's yeah. like I had years, I would be a secretary and then relapse. And so I just was like, you know what? I don't give a fuck what these people think. I'm not interested in being queen of AA. You know, it's not a competition. Everyone comes in here with different stuff. There's a huge spectrum of addiction. Some people are all the way the fuck over to the right. Some people are like, I just had like too much wine. And then I just like got a DUI and here I am. And I just stayed. It's like, okay, I don't really understand. I shot Coke in my neck, but fucking knock yourself out, you know. But it's like, you know, we come in with mental illness. We come in with fucking trauma. It's like, it's not a competition. You know, it takes balls to come back, but it's like, A, should be absolutely fucking inclusive. And it's like, relapse is the norm. It's not the fucking exception. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But like, people who come in and go to one meeting and stay sober, like, I don't yeah. get it. And the the key is for everyone, I don't even go to AA anymore. I've been for four years and I'm almost nine years sober. So suck it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> AA has been great. It was, AA saved my life in the beginning. And I'll tell you why. The community. I well, needed fellowship. Yeah, other young people mm-hmm. to be like, oh no, I did this. You can do it too. Right. That's what I needed. Right. And the 12 steps, a gift, right? I mean, anytime that we well, can like, look at do, our lives, yeah. everybody should well, be doing everyone the 12 should steps. Do the steps. Yeah. But, well, that's just, I mean, that's just like the basic good stuff from you know, all the different spiritual practices in the world. You know what I mean? You didn't make that stuff up. It's like, you know what I mean? Like meditation. Bill was using psychedelics throughout his whole sobriety. Oh, and suffered from gnarly, gnarly depression. Mm -hmm. So I love when people are like, you're not sober if you're on psych meds. I'm like, like, I'm sorry, go fuck yourself. Yeah. This is not Scientology. It's fucking (laughs) not Christian science, bitch. It's AA. Like take your, you know what I mean? I love you so much. <laughs> like, um, yes, Bill W. got sober on Belladonna. And then I think in his like late teen to early yeah. 20 years of sobriety, he was fucking oh, he tripping totally on was. acid. Oh, totally. This is documented, you guys. No, yeah. I mean, but then. <laughs> documented. Yeah, I'm not, you know. So. They get mad at me. I think that the I think that the brilliance here, though, is that we're all just trying to get to um, 
normal and we quickly realize that normal is not a thing and right. that we're just trying to get to just a little bit of peace and happiness, right. work through our trauma, work through our pain, right. understand our character defects and go out into the world and make like a big, beautiful life for ourselves. And it's possible. It is yeah, absolutely, absolutely possible. I'm, I'm living but proof. Li- but, but also like life happens. Yes. It's not like it's fucking perfect and Abs- magic and like, no. you know, yeah, your dreams can come true when you fucking stop destroying your shit and you mm-hmm. look at yourself and live and examine yeah. life and get out of your own way. Absolutely. But I'd say the like, biggest gift, like we were saying, I was calling my sponsor in the beginning with all my big problems and she'd be like, okay, call me back in five minutes and hang up. I'd be sitting there having a, <laughs> I'd be having a panic attack. Okay. <sighs> and she was life's uncomfortable. So that's, that's the greatest well, That's gift. the biggest thing is that we don't, you know, we don't like to feel uncomfortable. And Nobody so, does. Um, yeah. And it's like, I still don't like it. You know what I mean? And it's like, I don't like feelings. I don't like feeling uncomfortable. But, you know, what I finally learned is to weather the discomfort and that it passes. Mm-hmm. And if I don't act on it and I don't pick up and I don't do anything stupid, you know, it passes. It and away. it's like every, yeah. you know, it's like, but yeah. That was the big thing where I just felt like, oh, my God, my feelings are going to kill me. I can't. And, you know, I needed something to yeah. take the edge off. No, you don't. No. No, you don't. You need the tools. Right. And so um, I I say this to so many. I help so many young women get to treatment. I, I was like, keep your legs shut. Keep, stay, yeah. stick with yeah. the the staff. Oh, yeah. I don't suggest what I did, which was like fucking my way well, through the rooms. Same. You know, I same. mean, I got a le- black lesbian sponsor and she was just like, okay, baby, you know what? She goes, well, you only going to go to gay meetings and women's meetings. And I was like, oh, no. I was like, yeah, I was like, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> no, that's me. I'll fuck with, I don't care. I'll I go, fuck I anybody. Go, I go, I go, well, how am I going to get laid doing that? She uh, goes, you're not, baby. You're going to concentrate on recovery. I'm like, yeah. well, that sounds boring. So I was at a women's meeting. <laughs> Funny you should say this, right? Because I'm totally straight. Yeah. I'm at a women's meeting and this dude walks in and they're like, this is a women's meeting. And she's so butch. And she's like, I am a woman. Yeah. And I'm like, hello. My pussy's tingling. I got fucking so obsessed with her. Yeah. I was like totally don't obsessed. And she was, she was like, I don't fuck newcomers. I'm like, okay. And she's like, I don't fuck uh, straight girls. And I was like, okay. She's like, and I don't fuck crazy girls. I'm like, so you're saying I have a chance here. <laughs> I just cracked my head open. I had stitches in my fucking head from a seizure. I was 30 <laughs> days sober. I punched her at a meeting. I was just like, I was so mad she didn't like me. So fucking mad. No dudes would ever have the respect for my sobriety that this lesbian had. This lesbian was like, I'm not doing that to you. And I was like. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Thank so God it's all in the boundaries. book. It's all in the book. It's I fucking hilarious. I, I was so pissed. So I was good. so fucking pissed. I was like, oh, my God. It's like guy light. <laughs> She like he can fix cars, but like we'll listen to like Tori Amos and like talk about feelings. Like, come yeah. on, we'll move to San Francisco and get dogs and like wear backpacks. I'm uh, into it. I started watching yeah. the L word. I'm like, I can do this. Yep. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah. So yeah. those tools, right? And so that's what carries. If you can get the tools, yeah. right? Yeah. Then then I feel like you there's a and a purpose. A you shot. have to have a fucking purpose in your yes. life. I think that's the big thing. I never had a purpose. So I was just sort of floundering trying to fill my needs and be happy. And it's like, you know, happiness is such a fleeting goal. I mean, happiness is a result of you doing something that gives that, you know, mm-hmm. that makes you happy. But you to pursue happiness as a goal, you're fucked. So, you know, Little did I know, because I was such a selfish, entitled cunt, you know what I mean? Ooh, can I say that word? You can say whatever Okay, right on. Um, 
that it turned out that being of service through the book and getting those, oh my God, the the messages that I fucking get, I cry and cry. They're like, your book changed my life. Like I didn't, you made me feel so much less alone. I laughed about things. I felt ashamed. I'm like, oh my God, like this is what it's about. Like, it'd be nice not to be totally broke, but like, you know, it's like saving people's lives isn't paying my rent. I'm like, hi, would you, can I pay my rent and all these people I helped get sober? (laughs) He's like, no. But I was going to talk to you. We were talking about the fellowship. Um, Dr. Howard Wetzman, who had told me about the motherfucker thing, and I'd written about that. When you're with other people and you don't feel less than and you don't feel ashamed, your dopamine goes up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. Those connections that we have where we can say, oh, me too. You know, so it's like, yeah, it's not, it's all, I mean, yes, there's this magic and spirituality and connecting Mm -hmm. to other people, but there's actual brain neurotransmitter differences that happen when you fucking connect with other people. Like when you help other people, you get a helper's high. Hi. It's like, that's why we want to fucking do it because we feel better. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I mean, that's, and that's all the old timers I'm hearing in my head saying, I don't do this for you. I do it for me. (laughs) Yeah. I spoke at a meeting at nine o'clock in Northridge yesterday. It was a very, it was a much older crowd. And I don't think they were ready for, yeah. I was like, oh, I don't think they're going to fucking be feeling my shit at nine in the morning. They're like, no profanity. I'm like, oh, this is going to go well. This is really good. Um, But let's dive in for a bit. Just, I want to dive into the book writing process because someone said to me, hasn't this been the most therapeutic time of your life? No, 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 no. Okay. Uh, writing my book was not cathartic at all. Um, it was re- to relive some of that stuff was extraordinarily painful. Seeing my behavior sober without the lens of denial and, you know, having that time away from it, I was horrified. And I didn't actually even really recognize the person I was writing about. And that was weird. There were things I didn't want to write about that I knew I had to write about. And as a writer, that stuff where you're like, I I can't put that on the page. That's the shit you need to put on the page. You can't. It's not about looking good. Everyone's like, well, I didn't really like you in the beginning of the book. I'm like, hi, I was mentally ill and fucking a drug addict. Like, if I I was an angel, I would have never gotten sober. You know, I was very honest about what a dick I was. You know what I mean? And... I think if you're trying to look good in an addiction memoir, you're just not being fucking honest enough. And I think that, you know, the stuff that I wrote about that was really embarrassing and uncomfortable and that I didn't want to share with the world that was humiliating, like really humiliating shit. Um, that's the stuff that people were like, thank you for your fucking honesty. Thank you for making me not feel alone in this stuff because we think we're so unique. You know, and I, I was a little nervous right before it came out. I was like, oh, that's that what black, I'm feeling right I now. Yeah. Like I that, was like, I can oh, feel that, that I was, Yeah, I was like that black dildo yeah. scene. Like, <laughs> oh, you know what I mean? <laughs> I was like, who's going to marry me after reading that? Like, oh, you know, and I just thought, and then I was, you know, also I would tell you, do not read the reviews. I won't. Yeah. It's, no. That's their opinion. Who gives a fuck? The people that love you will love you and they will reach out to you. And the people who don't get it, it's not for them. Fuck it. 
Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Do not do that to yourself. Yeah. We're just, you're just, we're too sensitive. I already stay away from a comment section. Yeah, I, I always, I yeah, do I don't do, I don't read the, yeah, I don't read the good. So you know, yeah, you do your thing and you speak your truth because otherwise you're going to start to be influenced about how you should, you know, how do I make, give them more of what they want and don't do the things that upset these certain people. Fuck them. You be you, you yeah. know. Um, after the book came out, I felt wildly free. I felt mm. fucking bulletproof. Yeah. Because there's nothing anyone has on me. Yeah. What are they going to say? Yeah. Oh, you tried to stab your ex. It's in a fucking book. What else you got? Yeah. Oh, you were in the psych. Uh-huh. I mean, it's just like it's all owned. And yeah. so it's just like it was incredibly freeing. And that's how you help other people is by being extraordinarily honest. Not in polishing it up and making it look good, you know, because because be, people really... Your, your experience will not be unique. The feel, it's all the feelings. People will identify with the feelings. I mean, whether or not they had your d- exact experience, you know, the fear, the self-hatred, the, all, you know, all of the, the lust, the loneliness, the craving, the, all the different, the shame, like everyone identifies with that shit. Yeah. You know, no matter what form it took. And so um, I had a lot of people reach out to me who were like, oh my God, I'm a female perpetrator of domestic violence. I'm like, they're like, thank you. No one talks about that. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, man, it's not, you know, I don't exactly put it on my fucking match profile. No, it was not cathartic. And um, it was really, really hard. And I did it. The whole thought was, I'm doing this to help people. Maybe this will help one person. Maybe this will help one person. Maybe this will mm. help one person. You know, that was it. Yeah. And writing a book's fucking hard. So hard. It's a fucking marathon and it's gnarly. Someone, I, I tried to give the courtesy to somebody um, to let them read the book before I put it out because this person's probably not going to like the way that they're mm-hmm. portrayed in the book. And um, she wouldn't sign a non-disclosure. And I was like, you know what? If For anyone listening, a non-disclosure is basically like, you cannot share this before it goes out. And if it goes out and there are pieces that are cut out, right, that we end up doing final edit, cut-throughs, and copy editing, you can't share any of the pieces that have been cut out. Basically, that's all that it says. She wouldn't. I was like, you know what? I have spent nine excruciating months doing this. And this is my entire life story and work. I'm not sending you a copy you know, no. without signing an NDA. I mean, so she's not going to read it before it okay, goes out. Well, but whatever. I mean, then whatever her I choice. Mean, I mean, I have, my book was legally vetted. Yeah. They ha- they that changed. sucks. Oh, it's so no, much, I know shit. <laughs> so much. I mean, and here's the thing. My book is, it's great. It's so juicy. I love it. But having to change I know. the I know. names and descriptions I know. of my I know. of the guy who raped me when I was five. I know. Right? Like fuck you. Yeah. I should be able to say whatever the You can fuck. if you want to fucking get sued. Get sued. <laughs> I know. You know what I mean? I know. So I, I know. had to change a lot of stuff. I had to cut out Brutal. a lot of stuff. Um I had to get some people that were in it to look at the read the sections about them mm-hmm. and sign off on them. Um, yeah. we had to, you know, it was super, super duper legally vetted. Yeah. And, um, because, yeah. And it's even this, it's, like, I had a story about a rock star who's in the book. Okay. And they go through and they see if this rock star has sued anybody else for writing about them in the past. And then you have to go and change it if they have. Jesus. It's like a real, yeah. 
Yeah, it's wild. It's it, yeah, but yeah, yeah. It that was the worst part. That was to me the most grueling. They were you, like, like they have, were... you've spent so much time like dumping your entire heart into this, and then for yeah. someone to go, nah, you got to cut it. I know, but you have to. That's the only way to do it. You got to write it first, and you fucking like go through and edit later. Yeah. You can't hold back while you're writing it. It's like you've got to really just like let it all hang out, yeah. and it's like. You know, I'm, you know, considering co-writing a book with someone and she's got a lot of famous people in her book. And I'm like, bitch, we need to legally vet the fuck out of, out this. of this, you know, and if yeah. you don't, like, I'm going to fucking take my name off it because I'm not going to be liable for yeah. this. But it's like, you know, ju- tell-alls are the juiciest. But you do le- learn as a as a public figure, you do lose some of your right to privacy mm-hmm. as a public figure, Yeah, you know. But, um, yeah, I had to cut out. Some really poignant stuff. I know exactly how you feel. I can't get into it because of the legality of it. But I had to cut some really, really very important parts of it because I didn't want to be sued by this person. And it ended up shifting the story and, and the will, way uh, the way that I was going to be perceived. Yeah. But I was like, you know what? Fuck that, it. It's not about this person. Yeah. And, you know, if you read it, you, enough people read it and go, hmm, there's more to this story than yeah. they just, you figure it out. Yeah. I feel you, girl. It's I so feel hard. you. I feel there's you. one specific part, the bling ring chapter parts of the book. The detective on it was a really bad dude. So people are going to read this book and they're not going to get the whole thing. But, I know, but you it's have fine. to just let it go. You, you just have to let you it go. Have to, it, it's one of those things. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then, yeah, recounting, like, I've talked about my sexual abuse many, many times. I've never talked in depth, like, what he did to me and it's the psychological gnarly, right? trauma yeah, and, like, gnarly. the details yeah. of what happened. Right. And so I think people are going to be pretty fucking yeah. shook. People are like, is it cathartic? All of that. No. You know, yeah, no, it's not fucking cathartic at all. No. It's horrible. You know, yeah. and I, my book is in present tense. So you're living, and I had to put myself back in that headspace of active addiction and like all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff, you know, and it was like, I had other people who had written memoirs and I'd reach out to them and I'm like, fucking, I'm depressed. And they're like, totally yeah. normal. They're yeah. like, your mood is going to change with the, the, the section that you're writing. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, did you, were you, did you, were you found this cathartic or like not fucking at all? And I no. was like, okay. I mean, maybe some people do. That wasn't my experience. My, that was, that book was born of blood, sweat, and tears for other people. Yeah. That was not a book of catharsis, you yeah. know? And that's pretty much my dedication. Yeah. You know, in the front of the book, uh, they were like, who are you going to dedicate this to? And, um, and I said, for everybody else, you know, yeah. that needs, whatever's here for all the people who've been told that their pain's not real there that you go they're not Perfect. valid and that's my opening that's, my opening is for anybody is. who thinks it's too late yeah it's not that's it's never too late no yeah so god that was a great interview thank you so much um where can people find you uh amy dresner.com uh amy dresner on instagram amy dresner on twitter amy dresner <laughs> on facebook i have an author it. page um yeah just uh all that kind of good stuff. I'm everywhere. Well, I'm everywhere. <laughs> She's everywhere. We're going to do our ASMR section. <laughs> <laughs> I just heard about that from my friend Zoe really? Hansen. Yeah. Should we do it? Listen. This is how it is. People love that. Really? Listening to people chew. Why? I don't know. And like feathers on the thing. Like what and is like it supposed feathers. to do? It's supposed to be relaxing? Oh. <laughs> 
All right, we're done. Tapping out. Mike, (laughs) cut, cut me off. This week's affirmation is, I follow the path of my intuition, knowing that it always guides me in a divine way. And so it is. If you enjoyed this week's episode, do me a favor, head over to the podcast app and make sure to subscribe to us, rate us and leave a review. We have new episodes every Monday and you can follow along with us on Instagram at recoveringfromreality or visit our website at recoveringfromreality.com. 